Here's the encouragement ahead of us today on Abounding Grace. God will redeem you out of all your distresses. You might be one in right now. Right now you're in distress. But if you look back, God's delivered you from all the distresses up to this one, which means he's going to deliver you from this one too. I know it may not seem that way, but really this is the theme of most of the Psalms of David. God is a deliverer. The faithfulness of God to work in our lives, the minister in our lives, to serve us in our darkest hours. This is amazing grace. You can be sure throughout our lives we will be wronged and hurt by the actions of another. How will you respond next time that happens to you? Well, we're hoping and praying today's lesson from 1 Kings 1 encourages you in the direction of grace, love, and forgiveness. Pastor Ed Taylor has just begun a new series in 1 Kings, and today on Abounding Grace, Solomon is about to be anointed king. We have to cut each other slack. We have to give each other the benefit of the doubt in the body of Christ. And if somebody really did hurt you, the Bible says go to them and tell them. And then if, if they ask for forgiveness, you have only one choice that will please the Lord. Only one choice. That choice is to forgive them and let's move forward for the kingdom of God. Because offenses will come. But woe to that one who by offenses come. I mean, the body of Christ is a family. You guys all have families, and we all have families, and they're all pretty interesting, aren't they? That's just all I need to say about that. You know, we have, there's a lot of talk about dysfunctional families, but have you ever met one that was functional? We all have families. We're all part of those families. We're, we're thinking of other people right now. They're thinking of you. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's like we all have families, and the church is a family. It's a bunch of broken people that are redeemed by Jesus Christ, but in many ways still very broken. God's healing us, and we're not going to be fully healed until we're in heaven. And, and we, need, we need to cut each other slack and don't receive that accusation. Don't receive it. Be like Nathan. Don't even be invited to the party. Don't even be invited to the party. Don't receive them. Don't listen to them. It'll defile you. But pastor, they're just asking for counsel. Great. Don't let them give you the details. Don't let them name names. You know, it's one of the things that I so appreciate when I am hosting our live broadcast here where people will call with things, but they don't give up any names. They don't say where they go to church. They don't say their pastor. And I don't want them to. The, the radio isn't a way just to tear another man down or tear a ministry down. But if they need counsel, they can give me enough information without selling a brother out or a sister. And so can you, not even on, just not even on the radio. I mean, if you're coming to our leadership here, we want to help you resolve things. We want to help you get right with the Lord. I, but I don't want to be defiled. Do you want to be defiled? That's just a... 
you know, we don't use the word defiled. I don't know. Unless you're talking to someone about the Bible, you don't use the, the word defiled. But if you want a picture of what defiled is, just think of somebody vomiting on your head. You go, eh, that's never happened. Okay, how about this one? Think of somebody vomiting in the plane seat next to you without a bag, projectile, and you're headed to Israel on a 16-hour flight. Does that get a picture in you? Defile? Because when somebody's spewing out something and there's not two or three witnesses, listen, I'm, I'm talking about most of the little things. Sometimes things are serious. I recognize that. And those of you that are listening to this, uh, watching this at a later date, I'm, I'm trying to bring about some counsel from the word on most of the general things that we deal with. Certainly things can get more serious. Certainly we may need to escalate church leadership in something. Certainly two or three witnesses are there and it's a messy situation. We need to get involved. There are exceptions to this for sure. But for the most part, we should build a brother up, not tear a brother down. For the most part, we shouldn't allow and get involved in someone being invited to the party, somebody's party of difficulty. Seek the Lord to cleanse your mind so that you can undo the bad decision and hear both sides before you decide. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17, it says, any story sounds true until someone sets the record straight. Nathan comes in, sets the record straight. Now, verse 28. Now, King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. So certainly I'll do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed her face to the earth, did homage to the king and said, Let the, my lord, King David, live forever. And King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king. The king also said to them, Take with you servants of, of your lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. And there let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And Benaniah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my Lord the king say so too. And as the Lord has been with my Lord the king, even so he may be with Solomon uh, and make his throne greater than the throne of my king David. So Bathsheba calls, called back to David. David says, I'm going to keep my promise. You're right. We're going to take care of this now. Notice in, back in verse 29, the king took an oath and said, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. I, I just marked that in my Bible. It's a great truth for you because this is true for David. It's true for you. God will redeem you out of all your distresses. You might be one in right now. Right now you're in distress. But if you look back, God's delivered you from all the distresses up to this one, which means he's going to deliver you from this one too. I know it may not seem that way, but really this is the theme of most of the Psalms of David.
God is a deliverer. The faithfulness of God to work in our lives, the minister in our lives, to serve us in our darkest hours. This is David's heart. So he calls Zadok, he calls these guys to him uh, that were not invited and says, get a mule and put Solomon on it. Why a mule, not a horse? Symbolism. Because a mule represented peace and servanthood. Jesus, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Why? He came as the ultimate prince of peace. He's coming back on a horse. But to the cross, he came on a mule. Same with Solomon. It's customary for kings to ride on mules to symbolize their role as servants. And any good spiritual leader recognizes that if we're going to be the greatest in God's kingdom, we're going to be what? The servant of all. We're not here to rule over you. We're not here to lord over you. We're not here to live your life for you. We're here to point you in the right direction. Get your eyes on the Lord and the servants and the pastors and the leaders. Yeah, I know it gets tiring. I know it's a labor. I know it's hard. I know the warfare is crazy. I, I know that, that everything in us sometimes is like, what am I doing? You're serving the Lord. And when you have more responsibility, that means God is calling you to a lower place of servanthood. Not like the world. The world has taught us, climb the ladder, climb the ladder. The more power you have, the less work you do. It's the opposite in the church. The more responsibility you have, the more work there is to be done. The more people there are to serve. Now, in verse 38, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, the Pelethites, went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. Verse 40, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, just write next to verse 40. This is always the result of the will of God. What is the will of God? Solomon to be king. And the results of the will of God, the people went up, they're playing the flutes, they're rejoicing with great joy, and even the earth seemed to split with the sound of joy at the will of God. And may the Lord give us a desire for the will of God in our lives. Isn't it such a lie? It's such a lie from the pit of hell that the will of God is not good for you. That it's not going to be beneficial for you, that only God wants to strap you in and only God wants to make you miserable because he's given you his will. But no, the will of God brings great joy and rejoicing. The will of God brings great celebration and great fruit. Remember verse 40, so that might the earth might split under the sound of your rejoicing under the sound of, man, the will of God is being accomplished. Verse 41, so Adonijah and all the guests who were with them heard it as they finished eating. What a, an abrupt ending to their celebration, that the celebration of the true king trumped their little party. It reminds me of Belshazzar, partying hard, getting drunk, having it all, getting all the, the elements of the, of the temple, and, and, and there was the finger of God. You want to, I've seen people, I'm sure you, if you've ministered among those that have addictions and everything, man, I've ministered to people where they're all messed up and drunk, and in an instant, God sobered them. In an instant. 
They didn't need a detox or anything. They just, boom. It's like, man, this is what happened here. The party's over. They're sobering up. And Joab, when he heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is the city in such a noisy uproar? And while he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, and Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you are a prominent man, and bring good tidings. And then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king, and the king has sent him with Zadok, the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, the Pelophites, and they've made him ride on the king's mule. Verse 45. So Zadok, the priest, Nathan the prophet, have anointed him king at Gihon, and they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. And Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. And then the king bowed himself on the bed, and also the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day with my eyes to see it. And then all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid. And rose, and each one went on his way. Perfect love cast out all fear. Lovelessness is an open door to fear. Rebellion is lovelessness. And therefore, all these guys are set up to fear. It's such a trap of the enemy. What are they fearing? Well, there's a practical side to this. Remember, we're looking, whenever we're studying uh, in the Old Testament, we've got to understand the practical, historical side. There's a real fear of losing their lives for their rebellion. Even though God, uh, through David, has demonstrated much mercy and compassion and grace and forgiveness in the past, um, they're definitely afraid for their lives here. Uh, that's the practicality. But the spiritual principle is just as real. And the spiritual principle is they're afraid because they've been living against the will of God. And what are they exactly afraid of spiritually? This is such a trap. Just consider it. I'm not going to develop it. So we don't have enough time to develop it, but consider it. It could be a Bible study in its own. The devil is such a liar and such a deceiver. And our flesh can trap and twist even the will of God in our lives, trap, trap and twist the truth in our lives. You know what they're afraid of? They're afraid of the will of God. The noise, the king, they're afraid of the... They put themselves in a position where they're afraid and unable to rejoice in the will of God. How is it that a person can get to that place? How hard do you need to be in your heart to not rejoice in the will of God? How far from perfect love and peace... Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but I give it. And here they're afraid. Yes, they're afraid for their lives, for sure. But what a principle to be afraid at the announcing of the will of God. To be afraid at the announcing of the will of God. So discouraging. A true and great rejoicing follows the anointing of King Solomon, follows the will of God for our lives. And a great falling away in verse 49 as the word comes to Adonijah. A bond is, not, is built not in love here but among these guys, but in rebellion. It's not a strong bond because it'll surely soon be broken. Rebellion is always associated with self-love. 
and self-promotion and self-reflection and venting and disagreeing. And it doesn't last long when it's not based. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. This isn't speaking of disagreeing in general. It's not speaking when you no longer see eye to eye. It's not speaking of that time, you know, where we have in the New Testament, where there just comes to that time, I've seen it in my own life as well, where Paul and Barnabas, they just can't agree, and they they agreeably depart. They agreeably, is like, it's just not going to work. I'm just not going to agree with you, Barnabas. I'm just not going to agree with you, Paul. So we're just going to have to go on our own way. This is full-scale rebellion along the lines of Absalom. It's not as developed as Absalom's was. But man, your own dad. The will of God. They won't prevail. And it doesn't last long because it's not rooted in love. Only our relationships that are rooted in a true love of God, loving Lord God with our heart, soul, and mind, and a true love of one another, that's the bond that will get you through anything. Love is what the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. Perfect love casts out all fear. Jesus loved us with a perfect love, a true love. And may that be, that seems to be a theme in our congregation recently. As we saw just this last weekend, how, how will we be known? How will we really be known in our community? How, how will we really be known that we're followers of Jesus? It's not the sign on the corner of the building here. It's not all the bumper stickers and the shirts, or the hoodies. It's none of that. None of that tells anybody that I'm a follower of Jesus. It just tells people where I go to church, which isn't a bad thing because I think if we draw people to a place where the gospel is going to be proclaimed, that they have a greater opportunity to be saved. I was invited to a church. That's how I got saved. How were you? You get invited to a church, that's how you got saved. So that's awesome. Nothing wrong with that. But does it really tell people that you love them or that there's love flowing? Can they really see love because you got a t-shirt on? Remember that old t-shirt, the Lord's Gym. You guys remember that? <laughs> it's like, like, it's cool. I think it's great, but that doesn't tell anybody. It tells people that you wear a Christian t-shirt. That's about it. But what did Jesus say? He said that people will know we're followers of him by our love for one another. How we deal with stuff. How we handle stuff in the body. And I don't know about you. I'm discouraged. I'm discouraged in my own life at times. I'm discouraged in the life of our own church at times when our church looks like the world when it comes to love. So conditional, so restrictive, so demanding. Not at all like Jesus. Not at all like the day you got saved. What demands did Jesus place on you when he invited you to himself to forgive you of your sins? Did he stop you and make you change your clothes? Can't get saved like that. People that dress like that don't, can't get saved. Did Jesus do that? I mean, you might be going, yeah, the church, no, pastor don't count. Jesus didn't do that. Did he tell you to go take a shower? Go brush your teeth. You got to brush your teeth to get saved. 
Did he tell you you had to kneel? Did you have to lay? You know, did, did, he, did you have to crawl up here? He says, nope, nope, you didn't walk up here good enough. Go to the back and get on your knees and crawl right back up here, and then maybe you'll get saved. No, that's not what he did. He declared to you what? He declared to you, hopefully, through some pastor, some leader, some person, his great love for you, his great sacrifice for you, that he was, he was clearly portrayed as an innocent man, God in human flesh, who came to this earth and for three years, the last three years of his life, he did nothing but love and serve and give. And all he got in return was a crown of thorns, spat in his face. They whipped him with two hands on either side of him, nailed him to a wooden Roman cross and left him, left him there to die a torturous death. And there he was. And one of the last things he said on the cross was, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He looks to the thief on the side and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. The other guy didn't get that because he didn't repent. But something happened in the thief on the other side that was able to give us a demonstration of the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. And what do we do with that? We accept it. We enjoy it. We cry out to God. Maybe even in your give 10 time tonight, your prayer time tonight, you were, you were even praying in your own heart, Lord, forgive me. I was such a knucklehead today. And you came with boldness. You came with confidence. You came expecting God to forgive you based on his promises. You didn't expect to be turned away. You went into the throne room of grace to find help in time of need, you, to find mercy, to find you, you ran and, and, then, and then we withhold love. We do. You know why? Because the agape love of God comes from God. And it could just be that in our attempts to love, we're trying to love on our own strength. We're trying to love in our own terms. And we stumble so many times. But agape love, the love of God, is from God. And it's through us. And it, 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 it flows through our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives flows through us. And the very beginning of the fruit of the Spirit is just love. So in the flesh, we fail. In the Spirit, we succeed. You go, Pastor, how do I get in the Spirit? What does that mean? How do I do that? You surrender all your rights and privileges once again to the God who saved you. The Bible says the God who bought you. The Bible says the God who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. That for some of you today, some of you out on the radio, some of you listening in, no matter whether you're here in Colorado or you're in Texas or Hawaii, wherever you might be, this will be the day, this will be the moment that God apprehends your heart and brings conviction of sin into your life and your sins are forgiven. I don't know about you, but I get, dis I get discouraged when I don't see agape love throwing, flowing through my life, when I don't see it in the congregation, when I hear something, and I go, really? Really? Is that really happening? And we start praying for that family. We start praying for that husband. The Lord is always wanting us to relate to each other in love. Thanks for studying alongside of us on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Are you interested in a CD copy of this message? We can send that your way for $2 if you'll call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. 
Again, that's 877-304-7223. For instant access, look for the studies online at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. Search for Calvary Aurora. We've picked out a wonderful book by Gene Edwards this month that we think you'll benefit from. It's A Tale of Three Kings, A Study in Brokenness. It features the stories of David, Saul, and Absalom. If you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of others, this is a must-read. The Lord can certainly use it to bring comfort and healing into your life, too. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, ask for a copy of A Tale of Three Kings. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. Those that prefer to write, here's our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Glad you've taken time out to study the Word with us. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow for Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.